Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. Super excited to have Ryan Armstrong on Build with Clay. This is Build with Ryan Armstrong. Ryan is funny, very logical, but very caring. He can talk to anyone. The man loves pranks. He's extremely loyal to those that he care about and that he loves. So Ryan, super excited to have you, man. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Clay. I appreciate you having me on. Very thrilled and excited to have you. You've been a close friend. And like I said, you... Man, you care about so many people. You love your family. And we're going to get into a lot of that, but I've I've introduced you a little bit, but I want you to introduce yourself for the people out there. Like you said, my name is Ryan Armstrong. Um, Clay, you and I met it's almost 10 years ago now when we first started with IBM. And you convinced me to move from upstate New York down to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I've called home uh, for the past eight years. Um, just got married this past year. So yeah, a lot of big uh, and exciting things going on. It's been so great having you down here. And I know I promised you a beautiful, loving wife. If you moved down to North Carolina, it only took you eight years. I really don't think that's my fault. I think that's solely squarely on you. Hey, you found it. You have a lovely wife. It was really fun to be a part of your wedding day, y'all's wedding day. And so I'm sure we can get into some of that. Man, just so so grateful to have you down here in North Carolina with me. Thank you for the introduction and thanks again for spending time today. I'm, I've been really excited about this conversation because you and I talk basically every day. And so now we're going to hit the record button and kind of see what comes out. <laughs> there's a lot of people that know you that are probably listening, but I'm sure that there's many that don't know you that well. So I'm going to do a couple get to know you questions. So I'm going to ask a couple questions here and just think out loud. I'm going to start simple. If you could have water and one other drink for the rest of your life, what would it be? Water and one other drink. Wow. Um, that's a tough one, but I think I have to go with chocolate milk. Chocolate milk. Spoken like a true seven-year-old. <laughs> All right. Another one. Quick fire here. If you could only watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what TV show would you watch? Easy. The Office. Oh, that's the one you quote the most. I should have known. All right. This one I'm super interested in. I want to hear you think out loud on this one. You're a very logical being. So would you rather have, you have to pick one, would you rather have 10 foot long arms or 10 foot long legs? All right. Well, my first thought is that with 10 foot legs, I would cover incredible amounts of ground, but I would be slower in moving, right? Because the quickest people typically have shorter legs. They're able to just move very quickly like Allen Iverson. Uh, 10 foot arms, I would be an incredible shot blocker in the NBA, um, kind of like a Boban. So I feel like for that fact alone, I have to go with 10 foot arms. 10 foot arms. You don't think you can be an NBA superstar with 10 foot long legs? Uh, no, because I'm still going to have like a foot and a half long torso and 
I just don't feel like that's going to be super conducive. Also, if I'm slow, I'm not getting up and down the court quickly. Interesting. Okay. All right. Are you going with legs? Don't tell me you would take legs. No, no, I wouldn't take legs. Come on. I'm not crazy. I knew it. (laughs) I was questioning for a second. (laughs) Love that. So, Hey, there's a little get to know you segment for Ryan Armstrong. So thank you for indulging us in, uh, in your brain a little bit there. So, Ryan, look, man, we can get into a lot of different discussions here. Uh, you and I have, are down the path of real estate. We've started our careers together at IBM. We can get into a hundred different conversations, but I want to start with a story because you're a man full of stories, and I love the one about you're getting your first first mortgage. So, could you please walk us through what that was like? Sure. So. As I mentioned in my intro, I moved down to North Carolina because you told me this was a great place to be. So I spent the first eight months of my time looking at North Carolina, traveling to and from North Carolina, from New York, and I would stay on your couch. And you and Whitney were gracious enough to let me do that for eight months. I have no idea what made you guys allow me to do that other than maybe the fact that I brought you immense amounts of noodles and company. <laughs> but um when I closed on my first home, uh, it was a four bedroom, two and a half bath, and I did a 30 year mortgage. And the day that I closed, um, obviously I was really happy and excited to be closing on the house. And, um, I remember like yesterday, uh, the first night Dan and I ended up sleeping on separate couches in the living room because we didn't have beds delivered yet. And, um, I couldn't sleep. I don't know what happened, but somewhere around 11, um, I was just struck with this thought of carrying a mortgage uh, for 30 years, right? Owing someone money for 30 years. And um, that struck a fear in me like no other. Um, so I stayed up until about two that night thinking I emailed my lender twice and um, so this I is, just, this is 12 hours after you closed on this property, 12 hours after I closed, I mean, I, I had not even had my first night's sleep in this property and I was losing my <laughs> mind thinking about the fact that I was going to owe someone for 30 years. It was just like, this is madness. I mean, that's 10 years longer almost than I've lived. Um, I mean, I just, I could not picture it. I could not get over it. So I called my lender in the morning and um told her look i i can't do this i don't know what i was thinking i need to move it to 15 years and she told me well you know ryan that's going to increase your uh, your monthly by about 500 dollars." and i said i don't care what it takes we need to cut this thing down um i cannot live like this i can't have another night like this i'm i'm just like my heart's coming through my chest um so carol was gracious enough and um bless her working with me but she got right back into it and we refinanced within 24 hours from a 30 year to a 15 year mortgage (laughs) you may be the only person in the history of the world to have done that (laughs) i was very 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 serious about needing to do that i mean it was a medical issue at that point dude Oh, bless Carol's heart for dealing with that. And somehow continuing, I know that she did continue to do deals with you as you as you expanded your real estate portfolio. She did. And you want to know what the funny thing is? I never did another 30 year uh, with her ever again. Everything from that point on was 15. I could not handle the debt. I mean, the 
fact that I was going to be paying interest for an extra 15 years, I mean, it was mind boggling to me. Oh man, just a little insight into how Ryan Armstrong's brain works. And I love it because he's a numbers guy and he's also someone that once he thinks of something, he's going to figure it out and he's going to think about it nonstop until he has a chance to talk to another human about it. And you are typically that human. So thank you, Clay. <laughs> I, get the, I get the brunt of, of Ryan Armstrong's 2 a.m. thoughts. Yeah, when Ryan Armstrong calls me at 6.45 in the morning, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, what did he think of this time? <laughs> what crazy scheme is he cooking up in his brain at 2 a.m.? It's either going to be a fantastic idea or an idea that needs to never be spoken again. So you're really good at being able to differentiate between the two. Hey, man, you shoot your shot. That's all we can ask for. Honestly, a view of like how far you've come in, in real estate and thinking about how you're doing all this stuff. So um, before we get into, I, I know you have a lot of thoughts on real estate. I know you have a, a, a great background in finance and building wealth and building your career, right? I mean, that's where you and I got started. But before we do that, I want to take a, a little bit of a detour here and ask a couple of questions for you to tee up some things that we're going to talk about today. So first, there's a concept out there called a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. So I'm curious from your point of view, because you have a growth mindset. I have no doubt about it. I've seen it exemplified time after time, but I want to understand how you would define a growth mindset. For me personally, I would define a growth mindset as someone who is thinking about what can I do differently? Not necessarily better, but differently, right? From an exploration standpoint, what, what are you looking to do when you think about where you want to go, what you want to do, who you want to be? Um, I, I don't think that it has to be defined in terms of, I mean, when you think of growth, a lot of people think bigger, better, um, newer, faster, stronger, whatever it may be. Uh, but I think of it in terms of just different, right? I mean, there's so many things that we do, and, and I'm certainly guilty of it too, but we just do as individuals where we say, this is the status quo, I'm just going to do this. And there may be a better way, an easier way, um, a quicker way, whatever it is, um, to explore, right? So I think of growth mindset as just thinking about what can I do differently? Um, what can I be open to? I really like that answer, Ryan. That is very different from many people, how they, how they view what growth is, because as you so eloquently stated, many people view growth as more and more isn't necessarily growth. Um, it can be, but doing things differently is that's, that's something you've done. I feel like over the, especially over the last decade, as I've known you, and I think that there's a lot of examples around that and I, I want to get into those, but first I want to ask you kind of an even deeper question, because I think it's going to set the foundation for some of the decisions and why you've started to do things a little bit differently over the course of the last decade. And that's how would you go about defining your purpose or your why in life? I would say my purpose and why in life is probably twofold. Um, one, uh, I'm a huge family man. Um, and, and I mean, you've seen this and experienced it, but when I think of my family, right, I think of obviously my, my blood, right? My, my mom, dad, brother, sister, um, you know, Jill is family now, uh, but I also consider my closest friends uh, family as well, right? I mean, I would do 
anything for, for, for them as well. So I would say that's kind of the first prong. And my second prong um, would be helping others. Um, I just, I enjoy being able to help and have an impact on people. Well, I've certainly seen you exemplify that many, many times. So um, I love that. So it's about family and family is blood plus your friends and you know, you're, it's all about helping people. So as those as foundations, right? Understanding how you gone about your growth, how you've gone about, you know, your purpose in life. Um, let's get into some of this stuff where you've grown and I've seen it firsthand and, you know, or, or heard it secondhand. Um, so where do you want to start with your growth journey? I mean, you've done it a lot with your career, with real estate, with investing. What do you want to get into? Um, you, you lead the way. This is your show. All right. All right. How about we, let's, let's start on the, on the career front. I think the career front's really interesting. Um, you know, like I said, you and I both met in, in IBM and have had, you know, similar trajectories and wanting and what we want to do. So you've, you started as an individual contributor, just like I did, but you really wanted to get into management. So what was, what was the reasoning? Why did you want to get into leadership? Uh, that was also twofold. One, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to explore a new career path and develop different skills um, that I was not able to do in an in individual contributor role um, and, and just be able to take on a different perspective, right? And, and you know this firsthand, but in an individual contributor role, you're thinking, what do I have to do to hit my number? Um, what is the best way, what is the most efficient way for me to go about that and also make sure that I'm setting myself up for the next half or the next year um, or quarter or whatever it may be. Whereas in um, a leadership role, you're thinking about how do I help others best achieve their goals, right? And ultimately that will make me successful. Um, so taking on uh, a different approach and mindset was really important to me. And then the second part of it was I wanted to be able to see if my process for sales as an individual contributor would carry over um, to others, right? So it was a bit of um, just me being inquisitive and wanting to know, you know, am I doing something that is repeatable or is it just unique to me? Um, so leadership offered me the opportunity to um, experiment and test that and it was something I just, I really enjoyed, right? Cause I could dig in and see from others, right? Here's things that I did. Here's things that you're doing that maybe I hadn't thought about. Um, I think this is a really good idea. I'm going to implement it or, Hey, I would do this differently. Here's why maybe you want to give it a shot. I love that. And I have no doubt that you've been a great leader throughout your career. And I'm sure that many have, benefited from you being their leader. So uh, I'm curious about the, when you, I know you, I know you've hired people before in your, in your roles, um, in your various roles. So if you're a, you know, I, I guess I should ask, what are you looking for in a candidate? And you're in the tech industry. Um, what are you looking for in a candidate? Um, are you speaking specifically for a sales role? Sure. We can, we can pigeonhole it to that. Let's do that. All right. So if you're, if I'm looking in a sales role, um, one, I am a believer in the fact that I think that sales are 
mostly inherent. I don't know that anyone can just pick up and learn sales, right? It's at least in within IT, right? There's obviously different types of cold calling and other types of sales that you can do where, you know, you're reading from a script and anyone who can read is going to be able to do that, right? But I view the most important sales skills is a lot of social and EQ skills, right? It's being able to talk to people, being able to listen is really important. Um, knowing when to listen and when to talk are also very, very important skills. Um, so I'm looking for people who, uh, from a speaking perspective and a listening perspective are, are, are strong, right? So if you relate that to EQ or um, experience with those two things. Um, the other thing that I'm looking for is an openness and willingness to learn. Every client is different. Every solution is different. Um, and every situation is different, right? So going in and understanding, I just got to go in with an open mindset and understand what the challenge is. I'm not going to go and force this product or service down someone's throat. I'm going to go in, listen to what the challenge is, understand where I can provide value. And sometimes I may not be the best person to provide that value or resource, and I'm going to direct them to go to someone else, right? So honesty, um, and trustworthiness is another component, but th those are some of the skills and qualities that I'm looking for. I love what you were saying around listening because that's such a big deal in sales. And so many people come in thinking that they just have to talk, 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 talk. Like that's the classic attribute of a salesperson is someone who can just talk your ear off when actually listening and being able to understand a client's issues, their challenges, what they truly desire is really what you need to do as a, as a salesperson. And look, this, this translates beyond just being a seller and, you know, it translates to really any job. I mean, my dad used to, I mean, he pounded this into me that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should be talking, we should be listening twice as much as we talk. Right. And that has, I mean, he's beat that, he beat that into me from a young age and I'm so grateful for it because while I'm not perfect at it, it's something that I tried to carry with me through my sales, you know, my sales journey. And, and I know you do this too, and it can be hard at times, but it's so important to be a good listener. So I love that you look for that in a candidate and you can honestly sense it pretty quickly in an interview when they're doing all of the talking and not seeking to understand what are you looking for in the role. And so I think it's a, it's a really astute observation and something that, that I know that you look, have looked for in previous roles. And I think that's a really unique thing. So kudos to you, Ryan. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So I know that you, so we'll, we'll set the career stuff aside. I think we could continue talking about a lot of that, but I know that you have a big passion outside of your career to do a lot of different things. So one of those things is certainly around investing and it's around real estate. So let's get into the real estate side. Can you just high level walk us through your journey as a real estate investor? Um, sure. So it actually, again, dates back to you, Clay. Um, when we were tra in training together at IBM, uh, I had been looking at different places that I would consider moving to, right? And it was 
uh, well, North Carolina was not on my list to start, but you had uh, slowly and methodically gotten it on the list and ultimately I ended up picking it. But for me, where it started was actually just watching HGTV, right? I would watch the, um, I forget the name of the show, but it was a rental flipping show. And I thought the flipping part was cool. And that's what I wanted to do. And then um, when I started thinking about moving down here, I thought, well, you know, if I go and do a flip, it's great. I make money one time. And then I have to go and do all of the work all over again. And I make money one time. Um, so that kind of got me thinking into the rental side of the house, no pun intended, um, where I thought, you know, I can go and buy a property, I can do some work to it, and I can use it as a rental, and I'm going to get the recurring monthly rent every single month. And this way, I'm getting paid for doing the work continuously. And it's an asset that's growing, um, which, you know, as I thought about it, it just made more and more sense. And ultimately, that's the uh, path I ended up going down. And again, I thank you and Whitney, because without you guys, I would have never had the chance to come down here, take a look at that and really spend the time to, to get into it. Well, obviously, the Raleigh-Durham area is a, is a fantastic market. It's been ranked over the last couple of years as one of the best places to live, great places for family, great places for schools. So you picked a great area. And I am personally lucky that you know I just happened to grow up here, right? I didn't choose to move here when I was in second grade. That was thanks to my parents. And so I, I was very fortunate to have just, a, just happened to be in the circumstance that I was in and be in the, in the area that I'm in. And so really cool that you, you know, picked up, moved your life down from New York to Raleigh and really started growing it. I mean, you, you did the, the whole rent back. I mean, on that crazy 30 year mortgage to 15 year mortgage in a 24 hour period, you, that house, you rented back to others, to your friends. So you even started, like, I would say your journey kind of almost got jump started by that. Yeah, it did. It definitely did. I mean, I was house hacking before I realized that was a thing. Um, but it gave me. So, for the those that don't know what house hacking is, could you, could you do a brief explanation? Sure. House hacking is when you buy a property as your primary and you live there um, with roommates, and those roommates are paying off your mortgage or a portion of your mortgage, right? If your monthly mortgage is 1500 and you live in a three bedroom and you're getting $750 in rent each month um, from each of your two roommates, then they're effectively paying down your mortgage, right? And you're able to take your income, save it and apply it elsewhere. Yeah. And that's, so it's, exa it's exactly what you did. And, you know, smart move by you, but, you know, obviously it takes for that to happen. You've got to have some level of cash or some access to equity so you can provide the down payment. I mean, you're not just mooching off your friends. Like you had to go and put the risk up and go put the initial cash up in order to get that. Correct. So you've gone from house hacking, you moved it down to North Carolina, you did the house hacking before house hacking was a thing. And then what? And then about a year after that, well, I, I'll rewind for a second. I spent the first year there remodeling that home, right? We did a lot of updates to it and that gave me a chance to better understand the cost element, right? Of what it would cost to um, demo and renovate and redo a bathroom or replace carpeting, whatever it may be. Um, that gave me the opportunity to learn the cost side. 
And then about a year after that purchase, I bought my first rental property with my buddy, Brian, and um, learned very quickly what life as a true landlord was going to be like. I mean, in those first, the first six months, we had bought a three bed, three and a half bath townhouse and a two bed, one and a half bath condo together. And, um, you know, going back to the why, a uh, big part of it for me, obviously, you, you want to be able to make money and be profitable in it. But um, I also really like the idea of being able to help people. And um, I learned pretty early on that there's a fine line between helping and overhelping. Um, we had all sorts of issues because we weren't doing, and mostly me, we're not doing a good job of screening um, in those early days. So we would not get strong, qualified tenants. And we're getting people that I wanted to help and work with. But unfortunately, the two things did not go hand in hand. Uh, so I had to learn how to refine that process and then work with people that uh, I want to work with that I'm able to help and, and do good things for and provide a good place to live. So what were your, what, what did you change in your process in order to, to get better tenants? Well, the first tenant we ever had, and I wish I was making this up, um, you know, we, I forget how, oh, we met, we met her on Craigslist and, um, she had told me her story and it was a really rough story, but she was homeless, um, did not have a steady job, but because the rent was going to be split at this condo, um, I thought, you know, it's going to be fine, right? She's, she's going to make do. I know when I give my word to someone, I'm going to follow through on it. This is going to happen. And, um, uh, there was no screening, right? I didn't run a background check, didn't do credit check. Um, did nothing right. I just went on someone's word and I learned that you have to do some diligence, some due diligence beforehand. Right. So now uh, I'm doing background checks. I'm doing credit checks and um, I'm always happy to work with my tenants. If issues come up, right. That's part of life. Not everything's going to go perfectly. Uh, but as long as you're upfront and honest and transparent with me, I'm going to do the best I can. To, to work with you through whatever challenges you're facing. Yeah. And I've seen you do that. I've heard stories of, you know, as you've accumulated other properties and worked with other tenants that, you know, I've, I've seen you go above and beyond and make sure that, you know, Hey, if someone can't pay and they've been upfront and honest about it, that, you know, you, you trust the process and let them, you know, slide for, for 15 days, knowing that they're going to catch back up and, you know, it, it's amazing what good people will do when you, when you give them a little bit of slack and you, and you understand a challenge maybe that they're having in their life and you've done that. And I think it's probably paid off most of the time when you've done that. Oh, for sure. No, no doubt. And I mean, I think too, and I know you feel the same way, um, not only as a landlord, but as a person, right? I mean, there's, obviously a great value in joy and relief you get when you're paid, but there's also a great sense of pride when you know you've helped someone. Right. Um, and, and that is really meaningful to me too. Spot on. So you and Brian went and got a couple, a townhome and a condo. What was next? So after the townhome and the condo, um, I sold that first home I was living in, bought a townhouse and remodeled it 
and lived there for a year and then turned that one into a rental. And then Brian and I ended up buying another one. We actually found this one on Craigslist too, um, where I acted as our broker. Um, and we bought a three bed, three and a half bath townhouse located two doors down from the first townhouse we bought. Um, and for a while, those were, that was my real estate portfolio. Um, and I spent probably two and a half years um, just with that portfolio, learning you know, how to stabilize it, what we were doing right, what we were doing wrong, just constantly refining what that process looked like, right? Whether it was acquiring new tenants, retaining tenants, um, the accounting aspect, uh, all these different things, um, just constantly refining and trying to better understand the different processes. Got it. And so we're at the beginning of your journey still, as I, I know the whole journey for you, and we're going to get into that. But if you reach back into this beginning of the journey, there's so many people out there. And you and I talk to these people all the time is that they say that they want to get into real estate. They want to, they want to figure this out. They see what you're doing and they're excited and they see the success you've had. So what advice do you have for people that are in that spot today? I'm going to give you an analogy on this. When you're in your house right now, right? And when we're done with this, you know, you're going to close up your laptop and you're going to go up to bed. And when the lights are on, you know, every single step you're going to take, right? I mean, you're not worried about tripping over the stairs or um, stubbing your toe on something, you know, exactly where you're going. But if I turned your lights off before you went upstairs, you're going to feel around and be really nervous about where you're stepping and what you're doing. And I kind of attribute that to real estate. Um, a, a lot of people that you and I both talk to, right? They see and hear about what you and I are doing. Um, you know, they can research it and hear other people's stories. And they say, you know, it's, it's so great. It, it seems so easy. Um, you know, I need to go and spend the next six to 12 months researching it and trying to figure it out. And then they do that and they say, okay, well, I still need to do a, B, and C, I need to learn this, that, and the other thing. Um, and another six to 12 months have passed. And then I know you and I both hear these questions. Well, is it too late for me to start now? And my advice to people is just start. The best way to learn is to go and do something. Just because you might not know all the answers doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to go out and do it. Just like if I turned your lights off, you would still be able to make it up to your bedroom, right? It may take you a little bit longer. You may not be as confident doing it, but you still know the steps you have to take to get up there. It's a great analogy and one I haven't heard. So well done. And it, it brings me back. I think back to my own journey. That's, you know, relatively similar to yours around, look, just starting and, and, you know, look very fortunate to have the job, that I had that afforded me the ability to, you know, have a loan and to have a down payment and, you know, start, get that jump start. But I think back to buying my first primary home and thinking about that check that I had to write. I think it was, it was like $75,000 or something. It was the most money by far that I, I mean, I had worked so hard to save it and it was by far the most money I'd ever written on a check. And I was terrified. I mean, I like handing that thing over. I was shaking. I was in the closing attorney's office and I was like, I can't believe 
I'm doing, I have to be doing something wrong. Right. It was probably <laughs> no, no dissimilar to you think I, I didn't go as far as you to think I need to refinance this immediately, but I, I was so terrified of that money. But the thing is, is that money is an investment. You are not losing that money. I felt like I was losing that money at that moment in my life. I felt like I had just worked so hard for this money and I'm sliding this across the table and it's gone, but it's not. It's, it's equity and learning that took time and it took patience. And now, you know, all the things that we do, you know, you, when you, when you're, when you're in the real estate game, you're going to be in buying stuff, like you're going to be writing big checks and no matter what you're buying, even if you're buying, you know, a small house or a small condo, like you're writing larger checks than you're used to. And now I'm almost kind of numb to it. And it's, that's also very scary. So I don't know what's more scary, that first check I wrote or the fact that I'm a little bit more numb to it now. And so I, I'm sure you can relate. When you say you're numb to it, def define that for me, right? I mean, is it something where you really don't think about it anymore? Like this is just your mindset now? Or do you still have to remind yourself that, hey, this is just another way of investing, growing my worth and... um I'm not going to call it saving, but I know, you know, you and I have talked about this many times, right? We were brought up as many people are to think when you have a job, you go and put your, all of your money in the bank, you put some of it into um, a, a stock or a fund or your 401k and that's how it grows. But what is that like for you, Clay? So numb may be a strong word, but I think it's because I'm, I'm relatively confident now that, or as confident as one can be, that this is the right decision for the long run. My mindset has shifted from short-term thinking to long-term thinking and knowing that, yes, I've worked hard for whatever the amount of money this is, but I know that this money is now going to go work for for me over in my family 24-7 now through through this transfer of of, of a check. And so the numbness, I think, comes from knowing that, hey, I've, I've set a path, I've set a strategy, this is the right thing to do, and, you know, kind of on, almost on to the next one. And, and, and I think all those things that you just mentioned, by the way, you know, learning how to save, I mean, that's such a foundational thing that we all need to know how to do. I was very lucky that I was brought up in a family that, that encouraged saving a lot. And no matter what amount you had is save, 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 save. And, you know, that can help you get jump started. But, you know, if you're in a position where you can get into a 401k, fantastic. Awesome. Do it. If you can, if you can invest into stocks and bonds, fantastic, do it. And, you know, I think no dissimilar to you, Ryan, is that I was made, I was able to put myself in a position over time to, to start, like you said, to start with something else. And real estate is kind of what, what we fell into, what we both mutually fell into. And, you know, I wouldn't look back, but it is, um, my mindset is vastly different as I know yours is now. You know, I'm going to bring up a, a saving story with you. So I opened my first savings account because the bank down the street from us was having like a children's day right? You could bring your children in. They had a little mascot there. And I, w I think I was nine or 10. And um, I went and I'm talking to the mascot and I'm playing the games. And 
one of the bank tellers comes up because right the whole goal is to be able to sign the kids up for savings accounts and she came over to me and i started talking to the bank teller and she says you know if you keep your money here you earn one percent interest and i said i have no idea what that means she said well if you have a hundred dollars you're going to make a dollar um every like you know it's it was compounding i can't remember if they were i think at the time they were set up every six months right so it would really be like two percent interest right it was a small local bank and um you know i dropped the toy i'm playing with and i said wait a minute if i just keep my money here i can make money and she said yep that's exactly how it works so i signed up for my account i asked my mom if i could borrow the five dollars and when we got in the car i said mom we need to go home and come back here she said what do you mean i said i need to put my money in here and she said well ryan we just started your bank account I said no i need to put my money in here so she drove me home i went up to uh, my bedroom closet and within the, uh, my closet, we had a little like patch of carpet that I could lift up. And that's where I kept all my hidden money. And so I grabbed all my hidden money. And okay, I need I a separate, I need to, hold on. I need a separate understanding of one, where are you getting this cash as a nine-year-old? And two, how did you come up with the idea that this, this thing, this carpet, this is a great thing. Like that seems like a mobster move to go do. So I'm wondering how nine-year-old Ryan knew to do that. Um, so five-year-old Ryan spent all of his time just exploring the house, trying to find a secret passageway, um, which I never really found. Um, back in New York, we have these things in basements and it's really just so you can have like a moisture barrier, but we did have, we did have, I won't call it a hidden passage. We had a little like five inch by five inch door in like the middle of the back room of our basement. And this thing, I mean, it was just, it was disgusting and it scared me. And I always thought ghosts were going to come through it. So I was not going to use that. Um, but within my closet, so, and I'm just picturing it right now. So try to visualize this. But if you walk into my closet, it's a little, maybe five by five space, but it has these two big steps, right? The first one's like three feet in the air. The second one is like five feet in the air, right? And they, they weren't like steps that you'd go and step on, but just, that's the best way I can describe them. And on top of these two steps was a piece of carpet, right? But it didn't go all the way down. So I always knew it was a flap and I could lift it up. And I also always knew that people might like figure, hey, this could be a hiding spot. So I kept it in the back right corner because then you had to lift it from the back instead of the front. Um, so no one would ever be able to see it that Smart way. Smart man. Yeah. And so where I got money from, we I forget if it was when I was like, six or seven, we used to do house chores. And then I used to just go um, up and down our street um, during the winter and fall. And I would rake money uh, or not rake money. <laughs> I would rake in money. No, but um, I would shovel driveways or uh, rake people's lawns for money, right? Sometimes I got $3. Sometimes, I mean, if I got $5, I mean, I was the happiest kid on earth. Um, so I was you were just a little entrepreneur. That's all, that's all you were. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, right? I, I liked being able to say, like, if I was going to go to Toys R Us and know, like, hey, I can go and buy a $5 toy, right? Um, so I, I started that from an early age. So we went All right, so you had all this cash. And- you, went, you went home after the bank. You, you went to your little secret hiding spot in the back right corner, grabbed the cash. Then what? 
we went back to the bank and I went back to the teller and I said, I want to put this money in there too. So I make more money from it. Uh, <laughs> she, she laughed. And I mean, my mom, after that, she bought me, it was a couple years after she bought me, it was like a picture book, right. Of, uh, like investing for kids, um, and just trying to learn like the, why you save. Right. But again, uh, you know, you and I are brought up pretty similarly, like it, to the way I was brought up was it's just, it's really good to save. You always want to have this really big nest egg and you're conservative and you put it into some stocks and whatever other portfolio and, um, and that's it. So um, real estate really opened my eyes to a different type of investing, right? I'm not saying it's the right type or the only type, but it forced me to think differently um, than how I had always thought. And by 2018, around that time frame, and I think it was around the same time frame for you, um, is really when I started to think like, you know what, there's got to be another way. There's got to be a bigger way, right? Like how three properties is great, but like, how do I get to five and then 10 and 20 and so on, right? Um, so that was just what was really eye-opening and appealing for me, right? It was a, it was a challenge and, you, you know, if there's one thing you know about me, it is that I love competition and challenges. So, um, you know, I just tried to challenge myself to think like, what do I do to take the next step? Well, and this ties back into exactly what you were talking about earlier about your growth and how you define a growth mindset It's about doing things differently. And so you were brought up in a certain way and that way is fantastic. And there's a lot of people that aren't even brought up that way to learn how to save and to understand how banks work or how investing works. So kudos to your, your mom and your dad and your family for instilling that in you. Cause that's a wonderful foundation to have. Like those concepts of compounding interest is, is so simple yet it's not known by so many people. And that concept is just so, um, can be so impactful across your life. But you talked about wanting to do that. A growth mindset is about doing things differently, which is what you did. Like you continued to do those things around the basic investing and basic saving. And then you started to do things differently. And then once you started doing things differently, you wanted to do them even more differently. You were in one little patch of real estate and you wanted to get into another patch and a different patch of real estate. And that's where you and I kind of combined and started to think about, well, other than single family homes or condos or, you know, those types of, of asset classes, what else could we get into? And, but I also want to tie this into your why, because you talked about helping others and being there and being with your family and your friends. And I know for you and I, we both, I mean, I, I know for a fact, if you asked 25 year old Clay Davis, what he wanted to be, I would have said, I want to be the CEO of a fortune 500 company. At the time I would have said IBM. I said, I was at, I'm at IBM. That's what I want to be. And I probably would have tacked on IBM because not only did I work there, but I also know that the CEO of IBM gets a membership to Augusta national. And that's a very coveted thing in this world. And as a golfer, I would have absolutely loved that. And probably would have quit the day after and hope and hope that I could have maintained my membership. <laughs> you and I would have had different reasons for wanting to be the CEO. <laughs> so if, if we had asked 25 year old Ryan, what do you want to be or what do you want to do? What would you have said? My ambitions were never that high. I would have told you that, Hey, I'd love to be a general manager at IBM. I'd love to run a business unit. Um, 
and do something and that's similar a big to that, deal right? it would have been that's a really big deal at ibm yeah and i mean it would have been something in the corporate world for sure right some yeah, some senior, level or something leadership. equivalent yeah yep all right so ryan armstrong at the age you are now what are you 31 how are you answering now. that um my what do i want to do with my career with my life your life with my life, I want to um, be able to enjoy and spend the time with my family and friends that um, I can, right? I mean, uh, just like you, uh, I work really hard, spend a lot of hours at the job, and it can sometimes be tough to disconnect, right? I mean, we, we work, um, we're not a nine to five job, right? It is when you have an opportunity or you have a client or you have engagement, whatever it may be, you're working until it is finished. And again, you like me are working until you feel like it is the best, right? Um, now my priorities have shifted. I mean, I still want to do great work, but I want to be able to spend time with my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my wife, my friends. Um, and I want to spend time doing things that I enjoy. And I want to spend time giving back and, and helping. Well, this ties in exactly to the why that you said 20 minutes ago. It's about helping others and it's about being with your friends and family. So this ties in to real estate because in order for you to have the freedom, the financial freedom to go do that is you've got to replace your W-2 income with other income from somewhere. And so I think this is where you started thinking about well, where, you know, where can I go next? I think you said 2018. You said, where can I go next? So where did it lead you? Uh, to the YMCA with Clay Davis, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where you and I began talking about this exact conversation, right? Of, you know, what is next? You know, is it, it's not getting, it's not going from one houses to two, right? We're not, we're not talking about a small scale up. You and I both were looking for something bigger at the time and, we landed on mobile home parks, um, which is something I had never even really considered or thought about. And I'm going to quiz you here. Do you remember how we came to mobile home parks? <laughs> well, I know that we were talking about that we were in one asset class of kind of residential real estate. We wanted to get into commercial real estate. So we started, I remember Googling, literally just Googling what, you know, what is commercial real estate <laughs> and what, where, like what, what types of what is these, the subclasses of commercial real estate? And that is, you know, I mean, you could do stuff like laundromats or buying a McDonald's or a franchise or um, office buildings, apartment complexes. I mean, there's a ton of different things, but then there was this other thing called mobile home parks. And I kept seeing articles. I remember, a, I think it was a Forbes article that said, you know, mobile home parks are, you know, one of the best investments out there. And of course I'm sitting there thinking, well, great. Like, I, I don't care what it is. We're, we're looking to, to diversify, do something different. So that's how I remember it. How do you remember it? Almost the exact same way. And I'm actually, I'm smirking because that is the exact article. I sent you a Forbes article about mobile home parks. Um, <laughs> and cause I, like you, I went home and I'm Googling and I was like, okay, well there's different assets, um, different classes within multifamily. And I came across mobile home parks and I was like, well, this is a, this is really a thing. 
and started researching it. And I found that Forbes article and I sent it to you. And um, I was like, dude, we really need to talk about this at the gym tomorrow. And that is exactly what we did. And one of the things I've really always appreciated about you is that um, you were, to go back to my first analogy, Clay, you were not afraid to take some steps in the dark. Um, you ju just, we came into the gym and you're like, yeah, let's go figure out how we do this. And we set off on that path and, um, three, you know, now it's almost two years later. Um, uh, but two years later, um, it, it's crazy how much we've done and how far we've come. Yeah. And so we've got some funny stories and some things to talk about with this, but I, I want to hit on something that we initially struggled with. So I think Ryan and I had both built up the muscle of acting, like taking quick action and having a bias for action. And that's something that's a concept that took a while to, to really embed. I know for me, because I, I was always, you know, brainstorming spreadsheets, thinking about things, almost over, certainly overthinking things and not taking action. But, you know, to, to go back to what you said, Ryan, probably 25 minutes ago is the, the, the advice that you would have for someone starting is to just act, right? Just just know that you're going to have to walk up those stairs in the dark a little bit. And so it was a beautiful thing that that moment in the gym where we kind of decided, hey, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go check this stuff out. Is we just started getting on the phone with people, talking to people, understanding it, and before we know it, we were driving to the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, and evaluating our first mobile home park as as an investment. And we've got some some interesting stories about that, about that experience. And, um, you know, I'll, sh I'll share one shortly and then I, uh, Ryan, I'm sure you can jump in on this, but I, I first want to hit on, you know, there may be people out there that have never, you know, thought about that mobile home parks are a, are a place where you can invest or, you know, maybe view mobile home parks with a negative connotation. And that was something that you and I talked about a lot about. So the first thing we put on our investor hat and we thought, okay, Mobile home parks, they could be viewed negatively, right? Like, you know, trailer parks, it can be viewed as, you know, lower, obviously lower income housing, you know, drugs and alcohol and shootings and tornadoes and just, you know, lots of risk. You know, do you really want to be involved in that segment of the population? And that was honestly why you and I wanted to be for a couple of reasons. One, because we believe that probably 90 to 95% of investors out there were, would immediately turn their noses up at this which means purely from an investment standpoint, it means that we have less competition. And then to go back to both of our whys, I think elements of both of our whys or our purpose in life is to help others. And we have seen through real estate and in the, in the Raleigh market and other markets that people are, are struggling to pay their rent. There is a, an affordable housing crisis. And if we can own a small segment of some mobile home parks, and be able to provide a safe community and affordable housing and do some you know community driven things for the for those mobile home park communities then that kind of checks a box for us on the why on our why's on helping others and being there for others i'll pause there and ryan see if you have any commentary around some of that as we were getting into this space so there's two points i'm going to make in the first, because you touched on, you know, people may, maybe being afraid to look at different types of investment options. Um, 
there's always going to be someone saying, what are you doing, right? We had plenty of that when we were starting this journey together of, is this something you guys really want to be involved with, involved in? For a lot of the reasons you already pointed out, the answer was yes. Um, but it's, I think there, it was Elon Musk, right, who came out and said, go and figure out what your 10-year plan is and then spend the next six months trying to achieve your 10-year plan. And after six months, you probably haven't come anywhere close to it, but you've done more in those six months than you ever would have done. And you're probably significantly closer to it than you were six months ago. Um, and, and a great example of that is how you and I were with the mobile home parks, right? When you and I bought this first one, it was really kind of like a test, right? Hey, is this something we can do? I mean, are, are we sure we can do this? Are we sure um, we're going to be able to make the impact we were hoping to have, right? Because it's not like we bought it and just said, okay, we're now collecting rent. We bought it and immediately got to work making positive changes for our community. And I'm going to give you another short quiz. Do you remember what our goal was when we first said we want to get into mobile home parks? How many pads we wanted? Oh gosh, no, but you're more of a, I'm a numbers guy, but you're way more of a numbers guy. So remind me. So our initial goal, we said, if we could have 30 pads, in two years, we did a great job. And then after about three months, we upped our number to our life goal would be if we could get 100 pads one day. That was about 60 to 90 days in. Our goal to get to one day was 100. Um, but, you know, we quickly learned that we the first park we bought for anyone who's listening to this was all park owned homes, right? So Clay and I owned the land and then we also owned the homes and we had to rent out the homes to potential tenants. But what we learned is that we wanted to be um, lot rent owners, right? So we own the land, other people own, the tenants own the home and then pay for being able to have their home there. Um, and Clay and I make improvements to the land, right? Right through amenities, um, cutting down Yeah, trees, adding lights, utilities, uh, redoing lights. Pa- yeah, redoing pavement. Taking um, taking tree limbs down. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of ways that you can improve without owning the actual home to improve the the land and the amenities around the home. And where I was going to go with that example, Clay, was that initially you and I had a goal of 30. After about three months of ownership, we came across a 48 pad park in Virginia, at, which we ended up purchasing. And I don't. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I called you and I was like, dude, we are 60% of the way there. Our number has <laughs> got to be higher than a hundred now. It has to be. I mean, we're, we're so far past it. And, um, you know, shortly after that, we made uh, another purchase and we're well above a hundred now. Right. And it, I think it just goes to show you that we went in with one goal, right. Began doing it, right. We were taking action and very quickly realized that, our goal was not aligned to the work and effort that we were doing. And our goal has changed significantly over. And I mean, we're eight, we're 18 months in, in about 45 days. So in 18 months, I think our goal has probably changed like five times. And that is solely from just having the experience now of, okay, this is what owning a mobile home park entails. Um, and here's how you go and scale it. Here's how you do the day to day. Here's the things that Clay does well, the things that Ryan does well. Here's where Ryan needs help. 
where Clay needs help and, and just better understanding each other um, as business partners and understanding what these different communities need. All right. So remind me to get back to that business partner piece, because I think that that is a really, really important piece for those that want to start a business or thinking about you know finding a business partner or have someone identified. Because I think you and I have really balanced each other really well, but we've, we've had to work at some things and, but I want to talk about that whole business partner piece, but I want to tell a story first about the first time we went to go evaluate a park. And this is the park that we ended up buying. And it was 10 park owned homes in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, the kindest people in the world out there. And this is our starter, just having that bias for action. So we all, we drive up there we basically have no cell reception and we're meeting the seller and he's owned the park for a long time. Super great guy. His name's David. And he is basically the mayor out there, knows everyone, has been in the community a long time. And so he's walking us through the homes and through the community and everything's looking great. We meet with him and with the with the um, eventual property manager who does a wonderful job. And then he's, he starts to say, hey, well, we actually have some other parks that I'm eventually going to sell. Do you guys want to take a look at them while you're already up here? So we said, sure, we'll go over there and and take a look at these parks. And so we drive, we follow them. It's about 15 minutes down the road, down some beautiful country roads. And we pull over and there's another small mobile home park. And he starts showing us around and then he, his cell phone rings and he says, excuse me, guys, let me take this call. And he steps off to the side, but we can hear every word he's saying. And he said, he answers the phone. He says, hello. He said, yeah, I, I'm with the trailer boys. Yep. Yep. Let me, uh, yeah, let me call you back. Let me get, let me finish with these guys first. And I just look at you and I'm like, did you ever in your life think that you were going to be called a trailer boy? <laughs> <laughs> and, and now I, 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 it was complete. It took me completely off guard. I was like, this is crazy. I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. Look, evaluating mobile home parks, like what in the world are we doing, Ryan Armstrong? And now I take that as a complete compliment because I know what it what it can do in the, for our future. I know the amount that we have learned, the great people that we have met, and hopefully some we've we've positively impacted some people's lives that are in these communities, made them a little safer, made them a little nicer. But man, at that time, I I started to question myself just a little bit. I think that's because that was your first trip up. I had already been up there. So I, I was a little more uh, used to it. I think you're a little more shell-shocked. <laughs> so, all right. So want to talk about the business partner aspect. For those, you've given great advice around how someone should think about if they want to get started, whether it's in real estate, whatever they want to get started in is just have that bias for action. That was really your message, which I, I think is absolutely spot on. As someone thinks about starting a business, whether they're going to they're going to get into real estate with someone or you know whatever their passion is that they're going to start something, but they want to do it with a business partner, what are the what are the things that someone like that should be thinking about? I think like mindedness is really really important, right? Just because you might fit very well with someone, you can have two very different goals, and I think that's one of the things that as our journey has evolved. Uh, I really just appreciate more and more each day with you is that sometimes I have some pretty lofty and ambitious goals. And sometimes you have to tell me, Ryan, you're going way too far, but 
ultimately we have very similar ideas of what we want to do and where we want to go and it makes our decision and thought making uh, and thought processing much more simple because of the fact that we know that we're grounded in a similar foundation right we're not i'm not coming and saying clay our new goal is 50,000 homes uh, i'm not going to come and and say something that outlandish maybe 10,000 i don't know but um <laughs> You know, I, I think it really, really helps having a business partner who is like-minded. That that would be my first and most important thing if I were to give someone advice on that today. I mean, it's really important to have complementary skills, right? If I'm really good with numbers and terrible with my hands and you're really good with your hands and terrible with numbers, you know, that's a natural pairing. If we're both really good with our hands and neither of us knows anything or has any inclination or desire to work on the accounting side, you know, we're going to have some issues, right? Then, then you have to start thinking, okay, well now I have to outsource this to someone and I have to delegate to someone I trust to do that and then work with them and make sure I'm staying on top of that. Um, so I think the natural, natural tendency to look at skill sets is probably the first thing most people look at, but um, alignment on your goals, I think is the most important thing. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about a growth mindset. We've talked a lot about our whys and I really think that alignment right there is kind of what you're getting at is the alignment around your why, like your why and my why are pretty similar. I mean, they have nuances, but it's about wanting to help others be there for others, wanting to grow ourselves and put ourselves in a position to be in a, in a strong financial position in the future. Right. And this is, it's a long-term, we both have long-term view viewpoints. And that's kind of a rarity. It seems there's a lot of people that, that think short-term it's the way our society is. It's, it's all about short-term reward. It's all about shareholder, you know, everything or so many things are short-term, but almost all the benefits in life come in the long run. And finding that alignment with someone and really understanding, are they genuine in what they, what they want? Because if you're wise aligned, if your purpose of why you're doing this or why you're doing whatever you're about to do align so many other things will be figured out because when you have to go make the biggest decisions that you have to go make, whether to buy or to sell or to hire someone or to, um, you know, whatever that, whatever the thing is that you're both grounded and aligned in your why, and maybe you'll think about approaching, you will definitely, I should say, think about approaching certain situations differently but the outcome and the desired outcome will almost always be the same because you're so aligned in your why. And so if you concentrate on that and you think about that in terms of, of who this business partner or multiple business partners are, then that's great. I mean, Ryan and I are lucky that we've known each other a long time. We get along great and our whys go together. And so like all the other stuff is a bonus, but with we could get along great and we could laugh and and have a lot of things in common but if our whys were not the same it wouldn't work especially in the long run i agree 100 percent with that i mean it's it cannot be understated how important that is um because like you said i mean it, ju it just makes everything so much simpler when you know at the end of the day you're you're both trying to do the same thing because you both believe it's right yeah i mean think about all of the decisions that we've had to make over the last two years in this process and the amount of times that we've had to call one another 
And when you're talking to your business partner, right, they could be a friend or a family member, whoever they are, like you got to make some tough decisions at some point. And you got to be aligned when you're having a conversation with a potential client or, or whatever. I mean, you got to have some level of alignment and it's great to be different. That's a really good thing is to think about things differently and to come at things at a different angle and have different perspectives because that's going to help you grow. But being grounded in that why, I mean, I, I don't think that we can overstate it, Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I would continue to come back to that. I just think it's, it's so important. But with real estate, you have the ability to compound all of your gains and your equity. And with business partners, if you don't feel safe or comfortable or knowledgeable enough to do your first one on your own, I could not advise strongly enough to go find someone else who may either be struggling with starting or who maybe has done one or two or a few or many and say, will you be my mentor, my partner, my advisor, my coach, whatever you need and try to get started, right? I mean, it's always much easier when you know someone is there with you. So from a psychology standpoint, and I think you would agree with this. I know for myself, when we bought our first mobile home park, I felt much more confident than I believe I would have if I just did it on my own, knowing that I had someone in the trenches with me who was going to work to make sure that we figured it out. No doubt about it. There's no question in my mind thinking, you know, <laughs> when we were driving in the middle of nowhere, when we were closing on the first one, when we had all the questions about what if this, what if this happens, what if that happens? Every time I was able to root myself in, well, it's only going to happen 50% to me, you know, having 50% to Ryan too. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I'm sharing, I'm, I'm sharing risk, right? <laughs> but I also, and the best part about it is I'm sharing reward. So whatever, whatever the great things come of this, right? Whether they're financial or um, emotional or whatever, like whatever learnings we have, like we get to share that together. And that's to your point about having a partner, a business partner in this is, is really great. Hey, and kudos. If you can go out and want to go out and do it on your own, fantastic. Like go do that. Uh, don't don't take this as you need to you need to find a business partner, but for those that do have that do need that little extra push or just want someone along for the ride no matter how bumpy it ends up being because you won't know until you get into it. It's it's very refreshing and um, reassuring to have a partner by your side that can share in those, in that roller coaster that you will inevitably have, no matter what you're doing, real estate or otherwise, if you're starting a business, there's going to be roller coasters and yeah, it's great to share that with, with a buddy. Yeah. And I think the other, you, you've mentioned this word several times. So I also want to point this out for your listeners is the word is risk. And when people hear that, I think that immediately it is, there, there's a negative connotation around it. The caveat I will make is that it, it is measured risk, right? It is not, oh my God, I'm going to lose my house, lose all of my money, lose my car if I do this. It is understanding measured risk, right? And that is what you and I do for every deal we look at and assess is try to understand where is the risk, how impactful could it be, and what can we do to either minimize or negate it. It's a really great point because you're right. A lot of times people can think that I'm going to, you know, I, I, I said it earlier when I was sliding that 
$75,000 check across to buy my first home. I was thinking about all I, my, my mindset was that risk was that that's gone. That's completely gone. When really, if I really wanted to think about it, worst case of that is that I basically get that back at some point if I sell the house or maybe it's dipped 10%, right? And so there's a there's an absolute measured risk with anything that you do and or hopefully most things that you do. And of course, there's way riskier bets and you got to be really careful about who you're going into business with and what industry you're getting into. But if you've done it, if, you, if you've figured out, calcul- calcul- calculated the risk, then you know the best you can do is have that bias for action, go act, go learn. And again, worst cases is maybe you, maybe you learn, maybe you lose a tiny, tiny fraction of that money. But that, even if that happens, the amount of learning that you get was totally worth it. Totally worth it. From a personal and professional growth perspective, right? The knowledge that you and I have gained in the last two years has been incredible, right? It's helped me personally, um, with real estate in just my own life, as well as professionally, right? Being able to take a different perspective on how I'm viewing deals, interacting with people. Uh, and I think the other thing too, because you touched on the finished product side, right? If you sell your house, I think that there's also a false view of what people's baseline is, right? If you think about, I'm just going to go put my money in the bank and I'm going to make I have no idea what a bank is now, right? Is it 0.2% maybe? Is that Something your, like that. Yeah. yeah. If that's the interest you're earning, right, on a yearly basis, and inflation was somewhere around, what, 6, 6.5% this, this past year? So Yeah, and even, even if it's 1%, bank, right, in the traditional sense, it, you're still right. losing money. Exactly. Even if inflation goes up by 1%, by keeping your money in a bank, you're going to lose... 0.8% every single year, right? The value of your money becomes 0.8% less. Um, so I think it's really important to have a true understanding of what your um, your baseline is. Because if you're just thinking of it like, well, it's safe here and I'm earning interest, I'm making money. Well, in reality, you're losing money on that, right? It may not be massive amounts of money, but it's going to be a slow and painful grind of your money. Yeah. And there's an opportunity cost to it. And look, everyone's in a different financial situation. So you got to personally evaluate that. And there's a lot of great podcasts. There's a lot of great books and, and YouTube clips and financial advisors that are out there that can walk you through, you know, the options that you have with your money. So it's great to have money in the bank, no doubt about it. But I think what Ryan's getting at is, there's a lot of people that have a lot of money in the bank and there's other ways to go about leveraging that money and making, having that money work for you, right? You want that money earning, earning for you. And there's a lot of ways in this world to do that, even passively, right? You don't have to be as entrepreneurial as Orion and go out and buy a bunch of, you know, home, single family homes and mobile home parks and go do the whole thing. There's a lot of passive ways to do it too. And so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like Ryan, you're trying to encourage others that do have that a little bit of financial backing and have that ability is to just be conscious of where your money's sitting. I would actually encourage that to everyone, right? That would be the challenge. Just go understand whether you have 
50,000 or 500,000, go and understand what it is you're doing and whatever change is available for you to make. Um, and if you're ever questioning it, I mean, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you know Clay in some shape, form or fashion, and I'm sure he would be willing to help. But if you're ever questioning what your options are, I'm happy to help too. Yeah, well, there, there's a ton of ways to to leverage your money. There's a ton of ways to build your wealth, to build you know your financial acumen, and there, there's a lot of ways to start. And so, certainly, I would happily connect you to Ryan. I'm happy to have conversations. I think it's it's a it's a I know it's a passion of both of ours. And um, and look, we haven't done anything perfectly, no doubt about it. We have learned so much. We've made mistakes. We've done silly things, but I think the thing that has you know, we've had a lot of great mentors across our life and that bias for action and going to do it, being okay with failure, being okay with making mistakes, because that's the best way to learn is to just go try it out. And I know that both of us have countless conversations with people in our life that want to go and try this stuff and go do this. And I'm so proud of the ones that do. I have a couple names that come to mind right away that have, have taken the leap and gone and done, done it, whether it's, you know, getting into the stock market, buying cryptocurrency, getting into real estate, starting a business, that takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of guts to do something that you're not used to doing. And I'm really proud of those that have done it. But then there's also a lot of people in my life or around my life that that don't do it. And, you know, I, I'm, I have to be careful about you know, judging too hard because, you know, it's not my, it's not my life. And if that's the comfort level that they want to have in their life, then that's, that's great. I, I personally think that there's more to my life than a a nine to five job. And I want the ability to go help others. And I know you do too, but in order to have the time to go help others and be there for others and be there with your family, you can't have a nine to five until you're, you know, 65. Um, And that traditional, traditional thing is just, is it it was, it's a realization for me, certainly. And you got to be a little bit proactive and you got to act pretty early to, to be able to, to go after that. So, um, I know you and I have similar mindsets about that, but just encourage there's, there's, there's so much out there. I mean, dude, you can, you can go out to, I guess I should ask, where do you go and find inspiration? Where do you go and learn about this stuff, Ryan? I, I try and read like the Yahoo finance every day just understand what's going on um i've joined a couple different discords um through things like uh stock twits or reddit um just to try and stay engaged and involved um i like reading books to get different perspectives and those are not necessarily all investing books right some of them are around some of them are biographies some of them are mindset related some are financial um but really just having Different. What are some of those books, Ryan? If if you don't mind, if you don't mind me asking, what are some of those books that you would recommend? So I'm just starting How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, which the beginning of that one um, has been really, really good, um, and just kind of eye opening in the sense that again, psych- the psychology of things plays such a big factor, whether it's conscious or subconscious. Um, so that's definitely one, um, that I would recommend, uh, rich dad, poor dad was another one that I read this year, right. And this is more from a financial side, but again, just really eye opening on the difference between 
I'll say net worth, income, asset allocation, um, and accumulation versus debt and holding, right? Because growing up, I, I was taught, you know, debt is bad. There is no such thing as good debt. As in, as an investor, I've learned there is absolutely such a thing as good debt, right? And what I would qualify and consider that as is if you have, and I'm making it up, if you have a $100,000 loan on a $150,000 property that you are making $200 a month profit on, and someone else is paying down your loan, then that's good debt, right? You're not coming out of pocket for expenses there. You're making a little bit of money every month and you're slowly acquiring more of an asset each and every month. It's a great way to look at it. And there is so much out there about debt. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I would absolutely recommend. It's a great one, especially if you want to get into real estate. It's a, it's a really, it's almost the Bible for those that want to get into real estate. It was written... I think about 30 years ago and still holds so much of it holds true today. And it's a great beginner book, or even if you're in the middle of the process, certainly recommend it. And then, um, you know, how to win friends and influence people. That was a weird run for me. I really liked the book, but starting it was weird because the aspect of winning friends was so strange to me because I felt like that it, that was an unnatural way to, to get it. I, but after reading the, you know, the cons after reading it, I really, really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about that one when you're done. I, I greatly, greatly appreciate you spending a lot of time with us today. And I love the partnership that you and I have been able to build. I love the advice that you're giving around, you, you gave around career, around, you know, jumping into real estate. I hope that, you know, someone out there that it's, that's thinking about it has, it can leave inspired, can, can, leverage some of the thoughts that you shared. So I want to thank you for the time that you've spent here and, and the knowledge that you've shared. And um, it's been a lot of fun. So I, I really appreciate you being on, Ryan. I appreciate you having me, Clay. I mean, this was this was awesome and really enjoyed our, our conversation. I know we just kind of touched on the tip of the iceberg of a lot of different subjects, but I'm sure we'll do this again. And uh, looking forward to seeing how you continue to grow out your podcast. Hey, no doubt about it. I appreciate the support along the way, Ryan. And my best goes to you and your family and look forward to continued success for you and looking forward to do this, doing this again. So with that, we'll sign off here. This is Build with Clay. We're building with Ryan Armstrong. Hope everyone has a great rest of the day. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build with Clay on Instagram at Build with Clay. And head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.